If you haven't picked up it on it already, uh, we're trying to incorporate the theme of the message into uh, the songs. And I just realized I didn't put the right title up for the <laughs> for the message. Uh, the message today is is about the triune God of love, and we've been having this theme of the Trinity throughout the uh, service and the music. And one of the things. I think about when we get to the doctrine of the Trinity is that it is one of the most hard to understand concepts in the Bible, and it is also one of the most hard to explain concepts in the Bible. In fact, uh, part of the problem with the Trinity is that there's nothing else like it. And there's nothing else that even comes close. And and the problem with anything you use to illustrate the Trinity is that it usually ends up in one form of heresy or another. Uh, So you have to explain something that nobody can understand, and you can't use any illustrations because that leads to false teaching. And we're going to do it in one uh, 30-minute message. you know, it's kind of like, all right, give, uh, give a definition of God and give two examples. You know, it's like, oh, easy. Um, so th- and it, for those of you all who know me, I can, you know, I can spend a 30-minute message on one word from one text. Uh, so this is a huge challenge. And uh, part of the challenge is there's so many different ways to come at the Trinity. There's so many different ways to explain the Trinity. There's actually a lot of passages and ways you can go to it. Um, but because we're in this series looking at God's master plan of everything, uh, and last week we said there were five stages. Now, I know at least one person put the five stages up around their house so they'd memorize it. So uh, let, let's see how many of the rest of us have it down. Uh, the, what are the five stages starting number one? I'll help you out with the first one. Creation. Fall. Redemption. Proclamation, restoration. Restoration. Great. That, that was good. That was impressive. I have a hard time remembering what happened yesterday, much less a week ago. So creation, fall, redemption, proclamation, restoration. Uh, we're starting with creation, but uh, as you all know me, we usually take a roundabout method. And one of the things that creation teaches us about is the creator. And so one of the things we're going to look at today as, as we, we have you know God's master plan up there um, is, is taking a little bit of a look back no we don't have it up there there we go uh, it, it, taking a look back we last week we talked about how God is a God who is powerful and sovereign to bring about his will and his purposes um, today we're going to look at a, a, an interesting question which is why did God create? Why did God create the world? And by the way, I've heard some false answers to this. I've heard some people make some propositions that aren't quite right. And if you would, turn back to what we read together in John 17. We're not going to look at the whole passage in context because, as I said, we're crunched for time. But I want us to look together... Uh, Sorry, John, I almost said first John. John 17, verse 24. And I I want you to read it carefully and slowly and, and see how this relates to creation. This is uh, Jesus speaking. It's in the high priestly prayer, the prayer Jesus uh, says in the, in the upper room before his uh, betrayal and arrest. Father, 
I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Now, I want you to focus in on the end of that passage. Now, it says, Father, I desire that they also whom you've given may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me. Why? Because you love me. When did that love occur? Before the foundation of the world. So we're backing up a little bit further than even creation uh, to talk about the God exists who exists before creation. Now there's a, a very interesting thing that's going on here. This is telling us that love exists before the created universe. Isn't that a fascinating thought? That love existed before the universe exists. Now I told you there's some false views out here as to why God created uh, one of the false views uh, that people have is, is they say, well, you know what? God was just, you know, lonely and bored, sitting out there for all eternity with, you know, nothing to do. And that's why he created. He created out of a deficit. Saints, I, I, I want to propose to you an alternative to that view. Uh, the, the illustration of, of, I give is, of people who are a couple. There are some people, and uh, when they're married and the relationship goes on the rocks, uh, sometimes, I think it's particularly women try this, if the relationship's going real bad, as a last-ditch effort to try and save the marriage, what do they do? They try and have a baby. You know, anybody heard of somebody doing that? No, not a great idea. That puts a lot of pressure on that baby, by the way. That, they, they're not skilled counselors. Uh, they don't increase your, your, your time. But that's something people do. They, they do it out of a desert. But, but there's also a positive way to do that. A couple who loves each other. A, a couple who enjoys one another's presence. And, and because they love each other so much, they want to bring somebody else into the world. That they can share the love that they have for one another with somebody new. I want to suggest to you that the love of God is like that second type of love. That there was a love that existed before the universe. And out of a surplus, out of an overflow of God's love, He created the world so that there could be more beings that experience and come to know His love. And come to see and experience His glory. Now, saints, when we look at God and when we look at creation in this way, uh, we, we, we see also that God is characterized by a threeness and a oneness. I want to read a passage most of you, or many of you, will have it memorized. Um, and it's a, a part, it is the Great Commission passage, Matthew twenty-eight nineteen. And I, I want you to listen to this to uh, understand an element of this triune love that exists before the world does. We see that love exists before that. For that to exist, there's, there's got to be more than one person in the Godhead. Matthew twenty-eight nineteen says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
Uh, now, what's interesting in there is uh, God is triune. That is, there is a threeness and a oneness in the nature of God. We serve a, a Trinitarian God. Uh, the Trinity is a word that's used to describe the mystery of the reality that there is one true God eternally existing in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Each person of the Trinity is fully God while being distinct from the other persons of the Trinity, and there's one God. Now, if you aren't confused, you aren't paying attention. <laughs> um, but think about that Matthew twenty-eight nineteen passage. It's, it's interesting. We're to baptize them in the what N- name? The name. Now wait a minute. Is uh, for those of you who've had English, is name singular or plural? Singular. Singular. That means it has one referent. Now what's listed after that? There's listed after that three things in the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. We serve one God who eternally exists in three persons. There's a threeness and a oneness to God. Now, I I told you all before that there is a difficulty in describing the Trinity because almost every illustration uh, turns out to be a little bit heretical. Some more than others. Uh, But... I don't have any good illustrations for the Trinity, but I have a good illustration of why we can't illustrate the Trinity. (laughs) Part of this comes from the nature of God existing in a different manner than we do. I think about this when I think about the eternality of God. We have in Genesis 1.1 a description saying, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. That means God pre-existed time, space, and matter. Before any of those things existed, God existed. Now there are times when I try and think about a God who exists outside of time. And I kind of uh, imagine time as all of time as kind of a line. I guess it was like the other one up there, the, a timeline down below like this, and God looking down on it. But do you know what the problem with that is? When I'm thinking of God like that, God's still existing in a moment, looking at all other moments. So I'm still binding him to time, even as I'm trying to get him out of time. All right. For those of you, are y'all thoroughly confused now? <laughs> Uh, But I I bring this up to let you know that the nature of God is unknowable. We as created beings can't understand Him. He exists in a different manner, in a different category than we do. Uh, One illustration I, I said that I would give you to let you know how we can't really know what God is like is thinking of uh, uh, the different dimensions. Uh, We'll talk about the spatial dimensions. There are three spatial dimensions. There's height, there's width, and then there's depth. So if you think about if if something exists only in one dimension, then you can pretty much just have a line. Can't go to the side, can't can't go any other way, but you just can have a line. If you have uh, four figures in, in a one-dimensional plane with just height, is you could either have you could have four lines. You can't move them to the side. You can't move them around. If you if you move them together, then you just have one line again. 
Now, if you introduce a second dimension to height and you also add depth, then you can work on a plane. And you can rearrange four lines in such a way to form a square. And that allows those four lines to exist in a way that they wouldn't be able to exist in one plane. Now, with a square, you have four sides and one face, but if you add a third dimension, guess what? You can have six faces combining to form a cube, existing in a way that it would be impossible for it to exist in two dimensions. Now, this isn't to give you an illustration of what the Trinity is like. It's to let you know that our limitations on understanding who God is exist because we're working in one dimension and he's in a much, much higher dimension than we are in. He exists in ways we do not exist. And by the way, if this is something that causes turmoil and and confusion for you, I just want to encourage you that I'm encouraged that the Trinity is so confusing and hard to understand. And I'll give you a reason why. If there were a very uh, simple, easy explanation for the God who created this complex and diverse universe, I would feel a little bit cheated. Also, if the God that is described as creating this world could be understood by our brains, I think it would be far more likely that he was a product of our brains. But the God we worship is unfathomable. He contains depths of mystery and life. So as we're going through this, we're, answering, we're asking the question, who is God and how many persons are in God? There's one true God, creator of heaven and earth, eternally existing in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. As we describe this, I don't want you to just think of this, though, as an abstraction. Uh, First of all, if we try and uh, wrap our minds around God, uh, our minds are sure to explode. But one of the things the character and the nature of God should bring us to is worship. That's why I'm so glad we've been singing about the Trinity. We don't have to understand it to worship it. We, we don't have to understand it to rejoice in it. We don't have to understand it to be glad of it. Since I don't even know how a car works, I have, a, I have some general principles. But if you took the whole thing apart and hand, handed me a socket wrench, then I would be in deep, deep trouble. Now, just because I don't know how all of it works doesn't mean I can't enjoy it. Doesn't mean I can't be glad of it. That it functions. Saints, in, in God we come to something infinitely more complex than anything we will ever encounter. This pre-existing God who exists as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, this triune God who exists both in unity and diversity throughout all eternity before creation gives us a cause for creation. That God because of the surplus and the excess of his own love for himself, determined that he was going to create things. That's the beginning of the Christian story. 
The, the beginning of the Christian story starts not with the dark of an eternal night, nor with an explosion of a cosmic accident, but with a loving God speaking creation into existence. This is a radically different story than the one in which the world is living. There is also some uh, practical importance to the mystery of of the Godhead. Uh, This is something the church had to work through. Uh, One of the principles, though... We could go many places to talk about and describe the Trinity. Uh, One principle I I want to put before you, and it'll hopefully make uh, the practical importance of the Trinity more apparent to you, is that salvation is from God. Salvation is from God. This is a refrain that is repeated, especially in the Old Testament and, and in the Psalms. If you read through it, you, you pour through the pages uh, of the Psalms, you, you know, the psalmist will cry out, my salvation is in you alone. In you alone is their deliverance. There isn't any other hope for salvation. There isn't any other hope for deliverance other than God. Now, if this is true, God has to be the source of eternal life, Correct. God has to be the one who gives us eternal life. That's what what saves us, isn't it? Okay, well, well, we're going to take just that premise. There are other ways we could could prove this. This goes into the the work of the Godhead. Uh, But turn with me to Romans 6.23. We're going to look at three passages. If salvation is only from God, then let's look at who gives us eternal life. Romans 6.23. This is a a pretty popular verse. Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. In Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, uh, the, the reference to God there is God the Father. So who gives us eternal life? God the Father through Jesus Christ. Now, that's usually the easy one. People usually don't have a problem with God the Father being God. Well, let's, let's look at the, the work of Jesus Christ. If God the Father gives us eternal life, then he is certainly God because salvation can only come from God. Let's look at uh, John ten twenty eight. I need to go left in my Bible, not right in my Bible to get John. <laughs> John ten twenty eight. Uh, this is uh, Jesus speaking. Let's back up to verse 27. This is Jesus speaking. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Okay, salvation is only from God. Jesus Christ here is saying, hey, I am the good shepherd, and what I give to my sheep is eternal life. If salvation is only from God, and Jesus Christ gives eternal life, then Jesus Christ must be God. 
All right. Well, what, what about the Holy Spirit? This is probably the one that people have the, the most trouble of is, is thinking of God. Turn with me to Galatians 6, 8. Galatians 6, 8. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap everlasting life, life, eternal life. So again, we have here a work of God in which eternal life is given to people. And if salvation is only from God... And the Holy Spirit gives to us eternal life, then the Holy Spirit is God. We have three persons in the Godhead, all of whom are active in our salvation. If salvation is only from the God, then God the Father and God the Son and the God the, God the Holy Spirit give to us salvation, then we must have each one of those members of the Trinity being God. Now, I don't know whether to do this because it, it often causes uh, some confusion. I just want to m- mention some of the ways we can get off track when it comes to the Trinity. Some of the ways we, we can get a little bit uh, confused when it comes to it. Uh, one way in which uh, people fall away from the, a true belief in the Trinity is uh, modalism. Now, modalism uh, is belief that God the Father... God the Son and the Holy Spirit are three characterizations or modes in which God reveals himself rather than three distinct persons. So in this way of thinking, uh, God shows up and when he shows up this time, he's presenting himself as a father. And then he scurries backstage, changes outfit, comes forward, and this time he's presenting himself as Jesus the Son. And goes backstage for a quick costume change, comes out later as the Holy Spirit. So there's one God, but he just kind of shows up in these different modes. Uh, That's why it has the name modalism. It's God showing up in in different modes. Uh, This is really uh, denying the Trinity in that there are three distinct persons as a part of the Trinity who are united. There's also Arianism. This is Arianism with an I, by the way, not with a Y. That's uh, something else completely. But Arianism, A-R-I-A-N-I-S-M. Uh, and this uh, is it's, it's named after... I'm not going to say his first name because I'm afraid it's going to get wrong. But there's a, a bishop named Arian. Uh, I wish I could remember his first name. Uh, and, and this denies uh, the divinity of Jesus. So a lot of these controversies that come up with the Trinity uh, deal with Jesus. Some later deal with the Holy Spirit. Uh, so this says Jesus uh, wasn't, the, wasn't God. It wasn't God eternally. Uh, but Jesus is a created being like other created beings. And then through his good life, through his hard work, Uh, Through his death on the cross, he earns a a special title from God. And that title is Son of God. 
this denies his divinity. It denies that he's truly God. It's just a title that he earns through his works. Uh, there's also uh, another heresy, another false view, is uh, tritheism. That is, uh, God the Father, or the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are three separate gods. We worship more than one God. There's three gods. By the way, this is what Muslims believe about Christianity. And the reason why they believe it is uh, because of the type of worship that Muhammad encountered in his travels. He went into Christian churches and he, he saw statues and the reverence that people were, were paying to those statues. And he thought we worshipped, th- Christians worshipped three different gods. Uh, he thought they were, by the way, the Father, the Son, and the Mother Mary. Because that was the type of worship and the type of icons that existed in the churches he encountered. Uh, so, by the way, false views of the Trinity or, and our representations of the Trinity affect the way in which people see and interpret Christianity. It's important that we get this right. So, th- those are some of the ways uh, we, we can go off the track. And lastly, I want to remind us why this is important. It's important for us to know who God is. The character and the nature of God determines our identity and our activity. The character and the nature of our God determines our identity and activity. So, uh, by the way, if I start to realize, okay, before the world existed, God existed in love, in diversity, and in unity. By the way, the diversity and the unity of God is also an explanation for the diversity and the unity within creation. That is, there are a couple questions we have to ask as we look at the world as it exists. One is, why do so many different things exist? Another thing we've we've got to ask is, uh, why are all the things that exist holding together? That is, despite all their diversity, we live in in one universe that exists in uh, space, time, and matter. And by the way, different belief systems deal with that in different ways. Uh, The ancient thinkers, said, mainly focusing on the diversity of the world, said, well, there are just many different gods, and they created different parts. And, uh, you know, when you're out to sea, you've got to pray to the Poseidon to make sure he takes care of everything. And then if you're in the mountains, you pay to the mountain gods. If you're in the different areas, you've got to make sure that the right spiritual being over which creation, uh, whatever created part you're in, you're providing proper worship to. They had a high view of the diversity, but a low view of the unity of the world. Uh, there, there are some other modern views that, that focus the unity of the world, but don't much focus on the diversity. The diversity and the unity within the Godhead is an expl- explanation for the diversity and the unity within creation. The character and the nature of God should be reflected in the character and the nature of his people. We have musicians come up here from Bob Westbrook a lot of times. Now, how do you know Bob Westbrook is a good music coach? The best evidence are the singers that come up here. 
the, the quality of the singer reflects upon the quality of the coach. If he's producing good singers, if we see radical improvement between the first time and then seeing somebody a year later who's been under Bob's tutelage, we say, wow, what a great coach. Their singing has radically improved. They're doing so much better. They've got better poise. They've got better volume. They've got, they've got better acoustics. Everything, everything's improved about them. Well, that's an, you attribute the success to the coach. The character and the nature of a people reflect the character and the nature of their God. Saying uh, they will know you are Christians by their love. That's something that the, the, the scriptures reveal. If we believe that God is a triune God who has existed demonstrating a self-deferential love throughout all eternity, that's got to change the way you live. To understand that the character of the nature of God, that God is united and He is a loving God. That's what we read together in John 17. Jesus praying that the church will be unified like He and the Father are unified. That the church will be loving like He and the Father love one another. That the church would reflect the character and the nature of the God they profess to serve. When we talk about the Trinity, when we talk about these things, these aren't abstract concepts. These are the things that should govern our everyday lives and interactions with others. Lastly, as we approach these mysteries, we come with humility. Not arrogantly demanding that we would be able to understand the God who created all the universe. It would be far easier for us to understand everything that exists within the universe that God has created than it would be to understand the God who brought it about. As we come to Him, we come humbly. Our goal isn't to completely get Him under our thumb or fit Him in between our earlobes, but to worship and honor Him. To stand in reverence of the one who has existed eternally in love and who has extended out of eternity his love for us in the sacrifice of his son Jesus and who offers fellowship to us through his Holy Spirit.